As I do, if you'll grab your Bible or device and stand with me for the scripture reading and turn to Genesis chapter 4. The passage we'll be looking at today is Genesis 4. We'll be reading, I'll be reading verses 1 through 16 as we look at the way of Cain. As Pastor Bruce continues in his series going through the first 11 books of Genesis. And you can find it on page 2 of the Pew Bible in front of you if you don't have a Bible with you today. Genesis 4. And then follow along as I read verses 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desires is for you, and you sh- but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel and his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you For your word, we thank you for the beginnings, the foundation of the world, and your fingerprints all through it, and your creation. Help us to to learn your word this morning and more apply it to our lives. Be with Pastor Bruce and give him the words to speak as he preaches this morning. Help us to be attentive and uh, and to learn the lessons you would have us to uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are continuing on in our journey in the book of Genesis, particularly the first 11 chapters of Genesis, this epic story of beginnings. And in the first three chapters, we have seen the power of God in creation. We have also seen the goodness of God in the Garden of Eden, and we have seen the grace of God even in the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. So the question bears, what happened next? What will life be like now in a world which has rejected its creator, God, like Adam and Eve did? Genesis chapters 4 through 11 actually answer that question for us. 
these particular chapters, 4 through 11, tell us the answer from blood on the ground here in Genesis 4 to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. In fact, this chapter in particular, Genesis 4, shows us the consequences of sin that began in chapter 3 with Adam and Eve and then the reality of death. In fact, we see death all over this chapter. We see death all through the next chapters as a consequence of Adam's disobedience. And it now comes to rest on his family and on his descendants and their descendants. And so Genesis 4 here kind of shifts. It kind of begins with the story of Cain and Abel. But the focus of this story is squarely on Cain. In fact, as Zach read this chapter for us, you may have noted in your own mind the repetition of Cain's name. It is repeated some 14 times in the first 17 verses of this chapter. Over and over again, Cain, Cain, Cain. And so the focus is on him. It's a story so well known that many people who never read the Bible know that Cain killed who? Abel. It has even entered our language as a synonym for troublemaking, raising Cain. We're familiar with that, which is appropriate because this is a very dark story that is tragic from beginning to end. Now, the key to understanding the meaning of this story is found in one particular phrase, though, that is actually repeated seven times in the first 11 verses, and that is this phrase here, Cain killed, quote, his brother. Cain killed Abel, quote, his brother. And so the shock of this story is not simply that Cain killed a man who made him angry. That would be bad enough. No, the shock is that Cain killed, quote, his brother. That point is made repeatedly so that we now, who are the readers of this, will never forget it. But don't miss the context in which Cain killed his brother Abel. Notice this in your notes. If you want to pull that insert out in your bulletins and follow along, you're welcome to. Or you can just look on the screen behind me. But notice the blood on the ground, the context for the blood on the ground. Cain killed his brother in the context of worship. After rejecting God's warning, and he suffered the just consequences of his sin. Now, that right there should cause us to kind of go, whoa. That should cause us to kind of take a deep breath, to pause and evaluate our own lives. You're like, why is that? Well, here's why, but here's the problem. We don't see ourselves like Cain. I venture to say that nobody here sees themselves like Cain. After all, we've never murdered anyone, as far as I know. So instead, we all think we're more like who? Abel, not Cain. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, if I were writing a book about Cain here, we would title it, The Ruin of a Religious Man. Understand, Cain was very much a religious person. He was worshiping God with his brother Abel. In fact, if Cain were alive today, and if he could come to our worship service here at LifeBridge and sing the songs, listen to the sermon, and give his offering, we would never know it was Cain the murderer. 
Why? Because on the outside, let me tell you, Cain looked just like one of us. Cain looked just like you. And you. And you. We would never know this is a murderer here. And yet on the inside, Cain lived with unchecked sin within. Sin within his heart. Think of it. One minute, you're, you're gathered together and you're worshiping the God, the living God, the creator God, and the next minute, you're murdering your brother. How quickly the heart can turn from worship to anger to murder once we tolerate the unchecked sin within. So please understand something from the very beginning of this story. Understand this. There's a little bit of Cain in all of us, and a lot of Cain in most of us. Note the progress of sin here in this story. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, the temptation to sin came from where? From without, from the serpent. But here in Genesis 4, the temptation to sin now comes from within, from within Cain's own heart. This time, sin is already present within the human heart. And this sin within has now been passed on from one generation to the next. Cain was born, if you will, we could say with a virus, a devastating, lethal virus called sin. And likewise, every one of us here today, every one of us here, as descendants of Adam and Eve, we are born with the same deadly disease called sin. And if we don't deal with this sin within each of our hearts at the cross of Jesus Christ, then we will go the way of Cain. Now, the way of Cain is not something to mess with. The way of Cain is very serious. Many people in this world and all through history have gone the way of Cain. Let me define for you the way of Cain. Notice this in your notes. The way of Cain is the way to ruin as a result of unchecked sin within. The way of Cain is the way to ruin. Or if you want to use the word destruction. When I look at Cain, I see the embodiment of what we find in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, when it says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end is what? The end is the way to death. So the way of Cain is the way to death, it's the way to destruction, it's the way to ruin. No wonder the Apostle John, when you fast forward to the New Testament, you get to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, and it talks about Cain. Listen to what John the Apostle says. He says, do not be like Cain who belong to the evil one. The evil one in reference to the devil, Satan himself. And he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him, John asked. And then John gives us the answer. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. The Bible, in other words, presents Cain as this kind of person, this prototype of every person who rebels against God and rejects God's truth. It's a lifestyle, if you will. The Bible calls the way of Cain. In fact, you get to Jude, one little chapter in the New Testament. In Jude, the, 
this one little chapter in verse 11, it talks about the way of Cain in reference to false teachers who not only reject God's truth, but they then also lead others to ruin or destruction with them. And so what I want us to do this morning is from this story, I want us to explore the way of Cain. It jumps out of the pages of Scripture here for us, and I want us to see the characteristics of those who are actually walking the path of the way of Cain to their ruin. Now, as I say that, we're not without hope. We're going to see again the grace of God is always intervening. The grace of God is all over this passage. So let's unpack it. Number one, the way of Cain is characterized by an unbelieving heart. By an unbelieving heart. This chapter begins with a picture of great, great hope. Oh, the hope is huge here in the very first verse. After Adam and Eve sinned, paradise was lost. They were banished from the Garden of Eden, never to return. They are now forced to eke out this meager existence of life by working the ground for their food. Their lives, which had been so perfect before they sinned in the Garden of Eden, now changed in every way. They are consigned to a life, as we saw in Genesis 3, to a life of pain, sorrow, toil, and eventually death. All hope seems gone, does it not? Paradise is lost. Until it says here in the very first verse of chapter 4, look at it. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Suddenly, there was hope again. Imagine the joy Adam and Eve must have felt when Cain was born, and they reflected on God's promise of a deliverer through the seed of the woman that God talked about in chapter 3, verse 15. No wonder Eve now says in the rest of verse 1, I have gotten a man from the Lord. I have gotten a man from the Lord. She's so excited. Eve probably thought that this man was the promised deliverer. And yet, we know from the rest of Scripture, Eve had not given birth to a deliverer, but to a murderer. That's the frightening possibility that every parent faces since Adam and Eve. We all have high hopes for our children. Every parent does. We want them to grow up. We want them to live productive lives, joyful lives, and, and hopefully even godly lives. But since the fall, sin resides in the heart of every newborn. And it's only a matter of time until it shows itself. And if a child grows up without trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior and learning how to check the sin within, it will result in great ruin, great disappointment, great destruction in their own life and in the lives of others. And such is the story of Cain for Adam and Eve. But then it also tells us here in the beginning of the story that Eve gives birth to a second son, Abel. In fact, what's interesting is Abel's name actually means breath or vapor and would soon prove prophetic as their son perished like a vapor at the hands of their firstborn son. 
Now, we know nothing about Cain and Abel's growing up years other than that Cain followed in the footsteps of his father and he became a farmer while his little brother became a rancher or a shepherd. Both, by the way, are very honorable vocations. What we do know is that the seeds of sin were already taking root in Cain's heart when he worshipped God. Notice what it says here in verse 3. And in the process of time, so we know time has passed by, we don't know how much, but in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So here's the picture here, the context. Both sons are worshiping God. Both Cain and Abel worship God, and both sons here assume that their offerings, that they're giving to God, will be accepted by God. This word respect, it means to look on something with approval. And so God approved, we're told, of Abel, the person, and his offering. While he rejected Cain, the person, and his offering. So how does Cain respond to this? Well, Moses tells us. Look what it says in the rest of verse 5. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Literally, his face was downcast. The reactions here of Cain were anger and self-pity. And these reactions of self-pity and anger are the very first clues of the true spiritual condition of Cain's inward heart. Now, obviously, here's the question that's probably on many of your minds. Why did God accept Abel and his offering and reject Cain and his offering? Well, the text, the passage of Scripture here, does not tell us precisely why. Some Bible scholars say, in fact, many Bible scholars say, that Abel's offering was acceptable over Cain's offering because of the nature of the offering. In other words, Abel's offering was accepted because it involved this blood sacrifice from the best lambs of his flocks. Whereas Cain, he just brought some of the grain or fruit of his harvest. Maybe perhaps even the leftovers. We don't know for sure. And while this is true, what we do know later on, the Old Testament also teaches that God actually honored both types of offerings, both grain and blood sacrifices. Now, we get a little more insight when you jump over to the New Testament and you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, and it actually points us to another reason, I think even a more compelling reason, why God accepted Abel and his offering and rejected Cain and his. Listen to what it says when it declares in Hebrews 11:4, by faith, that's a clue, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. But God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Cain's offering, in other words, was not an offering from faith. He presumed upon God to define what his offering would be. Now whatever we may say about these two offerings... The real difference was in the heart. The heart of Cain and the heart of Abel. 
Notice that Genesis chapter 4, verse 4 says that God respected Abel and his offering. And the order here is crucial. It's first the person and then the offering, and it's ditto for Cain. You see, we as mankind, we as humanity, we look on what first? We always look on the outside. We look on the outward, and then we make our judgments. That's human. That's human nature to do so. But God, God looks on what? God looks on the heart first and foremost. And when God looked at Cain's heart, you know what he found? He found arrogance, he found pride, and he found a heart of unbelief, which is why Cain became so belligerent, so angry when God rejected him in his offering and accepted Abel in his offering. Now, as we step back from that, what do we learn? What do we learn? Here's what we learn. What matters most to God, what matters most to God is the attitude of the person making the offering, not so much the offering itself. You see, God, again, he looks at the heart. And God was showing Cain something. He was showing Cain that he was performing his religious acts as a duty rather than as sincere worship. In other words, Cain's offering, we could say, was an act of false worship, not sincere worship. God came to, Cain came to God on Cain's own self-prescribed terms. But Abel came to God on God's terms. Cain's offering was one of unbelief, whereas Abel's offering was one of faith. And the giveaway to all of this, the giveaway to Cain's unbelieving heart was what? His anger and his countenance. Cain could have responded so much differently that day. He could have repented. Cain could have humbly confessed and repented and said, Lord, what do I need to do to please you? Because you are the creator, and you are the one who gets to decide what is acceptable and unacceptable, not me. He could have said, God, show me the deceitfulness of my heart and cleanse me from my sin. That's how Cain could have responded, but instead he raged. He was filled with angry and with self-pity. His concern was not with pleasing God but with pleasing himself. Cain did not come to God with sincere worship. And so God, in grace and in mercy, God comes to Cain with a question and a warning. Which brings us to the second characteristic of the way of Cain, which is, it's characterized by an unrepentant heart. First of all, it's characterized by an unbelieving heart, but the way of Cain progresses and is now characterized by an unrepentant heart. So Cain was angry at God, get this, he's angry at God, but he takes it out on whom? His brother. And folks, that is what anger does. Most of the time, if not all the time, our anger is really with God. 
but because we can't take it out on God, we take it out on those closest to us. We always take our anger out on others because we can't take it out on God. Even though we're angry with God, those closest to us feel the brunt of our anger. Cain was full of rage and resentment when he saw that his offering had been rejected, but his kid's brother's offering had been accepted. And Cain's anger was so intense, get this, his anger is so intense, it showed all over his face. I mean, no one can miss it. His countenance revealed the bitterness of his unrepentant heart. God knows now what's in Cain's heart. So God comes to Cain with these checkpoints of grace. And oh, they are so full of grace and love and mercy from a heavenly father who cares about his creation. Notice these two checkpoints of grace. First one is God intervened lovingly with a question about Cain's sinful heart. He intervened lovingly with a question. God is showing Cain a way back. The offer is on the table. Here is God's persistent grace again. Listen, God is not writing Cain off. Understand that. God is not writing Cain off. God is actually intervening in his life. God is giving Cain, an, I mean, giving Cain an opportunity to repent and to come clean and to be restored and to offer his offering with a right heart. Listen, some of you are sitting there and you think God is so against you. And that is deception from devil himself. God is not against you. He loves you. Yes, if you are living in sin, then God is against you and your way of living. But he is also gracious to you, even in your sin, because he comes to you with a question. He lovingly intervenes, and he's trying to draw you out. He's trying to draw in you something in your heart where you will confess, and you will repent, and you can be forgiven of your sins and course correction your life. Look at the questions God asked Cain in Genesis 4, 6. He says, God asked him, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And so God's questions are pointed, they're personal. God knows the answers, he knows what's in our hearts, but he's giving Cain the opportunity to face the sin within. God's offer is genuine. If Cain would do well, would do right, what does that mean? In this context, it is if he would repent of his sin, if Cain would offer the right sacrifice in the right spirit of faith, he too, as a person, would be accepted and his offering would be accepted. The door was open to both these brothers, but it must be entered by faith. Going through the motions will not win you God's approval. And that's what Cain was doing. The second checkpoint of grace here, notice it. God now intervenes mercifully with a warning about the danger of sin. So what would happen if Cain didn't listen to God and repent and do well? What if Cain just blows this off? What if Cain blows off God's questions, ignores God? What's going to happen? Well, God in his mercy, get this, he painted... Cain, for Cain, a very frightening picture, but a very hopeful picture. Look at the picture God painted for Cain in verse 7. 
It's frightening, but it is very hopeful. He says, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but, but, and here's the picture of hope, you should rule over it. Now, what a vivid picture God gives us of the sin within. God pictures sin here as this vicious beast crouching at the door, ready to devour you, ready to pounce on you. Now, here's a good question for you to think about, for me to think about. How do you view sin? You ever thought about that? How do you view sin? Listen, sin is not a cute little puppy that you pet, call up to you, snuggle in your arms. No. Sin. Do you see the picture God's painting for? Sin here is crouching at the door like a lion that you run from. Why? Because sin, God says, has a desire for you. Let me tell you, that desire is not good. That desire is your ruin. It's your death. It's your destruction. Sin wants to consume you and devour you. Listen to what it says. Jumping again to the New Testament, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. There's the sin within. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death, ruin, destruction. And if Cain did not master or rule over this vicious beast within he would be its next victim. And so, yes, God, in his mercy, gives Cain this warning that sin, hey, Cain, open your eyes. Sin is crouching at your door. It has a desire to take you out. But at the same time, God also gives Cain hope. Look. Now, the hope here is rather easy to miss because we're so focused on the sin within. But it's clearly stated when God says to Cain, but you must rule over it or master it. Now, think of those terms, rule over. That should, like, ding dong. Whoa, where did I hear that? Deja vu. I've heard that before. Because just as God told Adam and Eve to have what over creation? Over the animals to rule over, to have dominion, same word, rule, dominion, to have rule over, dominion over creation, over the animals. That's what God told Adam and Eve to do. So God right now is telling Cain that he must have the same thing over the beast of sin that is crouching within his heart. You see, we think, this is our, what we think, we think that once we've been tempted to sin, we're just going to fall into sin. As if we can't stop the process, as if we're helpless to do so. But God is giving us hope that we can stop the process. We can rule over the beast within. Now, qualifier, not in your own power, but in the Holy Spirit's power. By the blood of Jesus Christ, through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just stop and ask this question. What sin is crouching at the door of your heart. What sin in your own life is crouching at the door of your heart? In other words, 
Are there any areas in your life where you know there is a lion out there ready to devour you? Maybe it's anger, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's contentment, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's sexuality. Whatever it is, you, will you heed God's warning here or will you allow it to devour you and ruin you? The Puritan John Owen said it this way, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So don't play with sin. It's not a puppy, you pet. In fact, sin, listen to me, here's the power of it. It will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you ever want to pay. And sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. That's the power of sin. We see this in the way of Cain. He rejected God's grace and he refused to repent. And sin quickly pounced on him. The way of Cain, notice number three, is characterized by an ungodly heart. Now it's interesting to note here that Eve had to be talked into her sin by the serpent, but Cain could not be talked out of his sin even by God himself. Such is the power of sin in an ungodly heart. Cain didn't master the sin within, and now the sin within masters him as he rejects God's authority in two ways. I mean, outright defiance, outright rejection. Notice this. First of all, he murders Abel in anger. He murders Abel in anger. Cain failed to master the sin within, and his anger now turns to murder. Notice what happens in verse 8. Now, Cain talked with his Abel, talked with Abel, his brother. And I, I just, there's times I read that and I just so much want to know what that conversation consisted of. I see Cain as this manipulator, conniving person trying to coax Cain into this field so Cain could do what his heart is set on doing. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, obviously, if you've been with us for this series, this is the very first murder in history. With murder in his heart, Cain now lured his brother into a death trap where he violently attacked his younger, weaker brother, leaving him dead in a field. And it must have been a bloody, bloody murder. Since Abel's blood is mentioned twice here in verses 10 and 11. Now, did Cain crush Abel's skull with a rock and watch him die like a bug? Or did Cain say to himself, all right, God, if you want a blood sacrifice, I'll give you a blood sacrifice and slit his brother's throat and watch him bleed like a sacrifice? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. What we do know is this. Cain killed his brother with his own hands. And the question is, why? Because he hated Abel? Is that the reason? Yes, but no. 
As Diedrich Bonhoeffer rhetorically asked, why does Cain murder Abel? Out of hatred for God, he answers. Remember what John said in 1 John 3, 12. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So sin, picture this, is crouching at the door and it consumed Cain. And then Cain consumed an innocent person. But not because God didn't graciously warn him. God had warned him and graciously tried to intervene several times. Cain was angry towards God, but he allows that anger, that resentment, that bitterness to germinate in his heart toward his brother. Again, don't underestimate the power of sin. It's wicked. It's swift, and it destroys. In fact, it's the theme of these chapters here of Genesis 4 through 11 where God shows us now in the history of humanity how fast sin destroys the human race. But God also shows us his grace and promise that his son will come to conquer the sin within and its consequences with his death and resurrection. So Cain rejects God's authority by first murdering his brother Abel and number two, by mocking God in defiance. He mocks God. And he does so in defiance. Cain murdered his brother. He buries him in the field. But he couldn't hide that fact, that reality from God. For the voice of his brother's blood cried out to God from the ground. Whoa. So just as God did with Adam and Eve, the Lord came to Cain with a question. Another question now. A second question here in verse 9. And he asked him, where is Abel your brother? And instead of telling the truth, Cain mocked God in his reply to God. You see it in the rest of verse 9. When Cain responds to God and says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? This word keeper that Cain uses, it actually reveals Cain's burning animosity in his heart towards God, directed at his brother. It indicates a condescending care for one who can't take care of himself. And so the insinuation here in Cain's answer or reply to God, it says, God, can't you keep track of your own creation? Cain doesn't get it. Cain is so foolish and so full of anger, he's missing it. He doesn't get it. But God does. When he asks Cain, what have you done? It's not a request for information. Listen, it's a question for self-examination and repentance of sin. And when Adam and Eve sinned against God and heard God coming in the garden, what did they do? They were ashamed, and they tried to hide from God. And how does Cain respond now? Certainly not with shame. He is arrogant. He's defiant in the presence of God, and all the time with blood on his hands. Listen, if you're ashamed because of your sin, in other words, if you feel guilty because of sin, and shame grips your heart because of sin, then I say to you, God bless you, and respond appropriately. But if you don't feel shame, God pity that person. Of course, we don't want to live in our shame. 
We want to be set free from it. And when we confess our sin, God will forgive us of our sin. He will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But when we refuse to repent of our sin, when we refuse to speak the truth, when we are arrogantly defying God, then we should pray because we are on the verge of falling to our ruin. So what could have Cain done differently at this point? How could he have responded to God's questions? He could have taken responsibility, right? He could have said, I killed Cain, God. My anger and my bitterness overtook me, and I killed my brother. God, please, please forgive me. Have mercy on me, Lord. And he could have humbly repented. He could have fallen into the arms of God. He could have received the very forgiveness of God. But Cain chose a different way. He chose a way that led to his ruin. Cain may have rejected God's authority, but notice the consequences of his sin as God rejected Cain's autonomy. First of all, God cursed Cain as this restless wanderer. God asked Cain what fathers have asked their kids ever since in verse 10. What have you done? And God knew what Cain had done. There's blood on the ground. And so God asked this question to, to graciously and lovingly confront Cain with the truth that he wouldn't confess. And then like a prosecuting attorney, God lays out the evidence against Cain in the rest of verse 10 when it says, The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now here's what's interesting. There's absolutely no record of Abel speaking in the Bible. But after his death, the voice of his blood cried out to the very creator God from the ground. It was a post-mortem call for vindication that affirms the sanctity of human life. Now think about this for a moment. Kind of bring this into application here. Like blood on the ground, the world in which we live has a way of recording our guilt. Our lives leave a trail of evidence that we are guilty before God in our sins. You ever wonder why your sins will always find you out? And how that happens and why that happens? Right here. Cain tried to deny his wrongdoing, but God would hear none of it. God says to Cain in verses 11 and 12, so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from the ground. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Do you know what God gives Cain? He gives Cain exactly what Cain wants. God sends Cain from his presence. Notice verse 16. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. One of the most somber, sobering verses in all of Scripture. Now, the land of Nod, what's that? Let me tell you, it is not some resort at Disneyland. This word Nod, it literally means wandering. And so it's a chilling image of one who, who lives as this restless wanderer from or apart from God's presence. 
Number two, we see, though, God marked Cain in an act of mercy. What does Cain say to his judgment? He selfishly complains about it in verse 13. He cries out to God, my punishment is greater than I can bear. What's with this man? He cries out in fear and self-pity, but there's still no repentance in his heart. Notice that Cain did not acknowledge his guilt. He only lamented his punishment, the consequences. This is the key difference, listen to me, between remorse and repentance. By the way, there's a difference. Remorse. Remorse is concerned about the consequences of getting caught. Repentance is concerned about the sin itself and the offense it is against God. Cain felt remorse, not repentance. He didn't care about the spiritual implications of his sin. He only cared about himself and his personal safety as a consequence of God's punishment. And so Cain now cries out to God, they will kill me out there. We can just hear that in our kids, can we not? When we give them consequences for their sin and they come back to us in rebuttal, that's not fair. It's all rooted right here. And God responds, no, they won't kill you. Because here's what I'll do in an act of mercy. I will put a mark on you and let you live. The mercy of God is astounding. So what was this mark? Was it the first tattoo? Again, we don't know. What we do know is Cain was punished and separated from God's presence, and yet he pro was protected by God's mercy. What's amazing is that this protection even, get this, this is awesome, this protection would still give Cain the opportunity to do what? Even the consequences gave Cain the opportunity to confess his sin and to repent his sin and to be restored back to a relationship with God. Unbelievable grace and mercy of God. And though it seems from the rest of Scripture, Cain never did that. Such is the way of Cain to ruin. Now, as we step back from this, what do we learn? What do we learn from the story of Cain here? What lesson should you take away from this? One overarching lesson is this. That is the need to always check the heart. Listen to me. The condition of the heart determines the course of one's life. What is seen in one's life externally is a revelation of one's heart internally. And in Cain's life, sin manifested, the sin within manifested itself externally in anger, jealousy, hatred, and murder. In all of those actions, Prove that Cain possessed an unbelieving heart, an unrepentant heart, and an ungodly heart that led to his eventual ruin. So how then can forgiveness for our sin be found? Because, by the way, we are all like Cain. And we all need the forgiveness of our sins. Notice this. Here's the good news written in blood. And this is great, great news. 
Notice this. Abel's blood was forcibly taken, but Jesus' blood was freely given so that our sins can be forgiven through repentance and faith. I absolutely love what the scripture says in Hebrews 12, verse 24. Look at it in your notes. It tells us that when we come to Jesus Christ, listen to me, we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you know what this means? Do you know what it's saying here? It means that Abel's blood cries out to God for what? Vengeance. But Jesus shed blood on the cross. It shouts to us, here is forgiveness to all who come to me in faith. This means there's hope for the worst sinners here this morning and around the world. No one is beyond God's grace because Jesus' blood will wash away all of our sins. As 1 John 1, 9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And so God comes to you this morning. He comes to you and you, and listen, teens, he comes to you guys. God comes to you and he asks you, what have you done? He's asking, what have you done? And the only question that really matters in response is, what will you do? And what we should do is to repent of our sin and receive the forgiveness of God. And do so before it's too late, before we go the way of Cain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to see ourselves in the life of Cain. Help us to see our own hearts because they are deceitfully wicked. And reveal to us the sin within that can lead to our ruin if left unchecked. Oh God, grant us the grace to repent and to receive your forgiveness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. By your grace, protect us from the seed of the evil one and confirm and conform us to the image of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.